Welcome to today's episode brought to you by the Women in Medicine Summit, a transformational CME conference happening September 13th to 14th at the Drake Hotel in Chicago. Engage in leadership programming, learn negotiation skills, receive on-site coaching and mentoring, and see who will win this year's I Stand With Her Awards. This year, we're excited to offer unique programming that includes a special session on how using improv comedy can bring fun back into medicine. We also have financial sessions tailored to help you navigate the complexities of personal and professional finances. Discover ways to advance into leadership roles, combat burnout, and either reignite your love for your current role or find joy in a new career path. Don't forget our Friday evening gala, a highlight this year you definitely won't want to miss. Register now at womeninmedicinesummit.org and be part of the movement that is shaping the future of healthcare. Join us to network, learn, and celebrate the power of women in medicine. Welcome to the Revitalizing Doctor podcast. We interview trailblazers in medicine that embody the revitalized women vision to empower women to innovate and influence medicine, to value authenticity, respect, and work-life harmony. We recognize the challenges in medicine, and we're committed to providing coaching-informed strategies to help you go from surviving to thriving. I am so excited today to have the whole physicians with me on the podcast. I think this is my very first time having three guests. I've had two before, but we have set a podcast record with having the entire team here. So great to see Laura, Amanda, and Kendra. Hi. Hello. Uh, I'm glad to be with you today, Andrea. Yes. Thanks for having us on. Yes. I just love talking with all of you and it's been so fun getting to know you over the last year and meeting you at ASAP this past fall in person. For some of our listeners who don't know you, would you mind just giving a little intro on what is The Whole Physicians? So we are The Whole Physician, which at our heart, we are emergency physicians who love helping other physicians feel better. We call ourselves burnout survivors because we are couple of us actually quit medicine for a period of time and have learned how to practice medicine in a sustainable and happy way. And we love helping other doctors do the same. That's what we do. And we do that through teaching and through coaching. We do a lot of one-on-one coaching to provide that space for doctors to be able to vent safely and in a no-judgment zone and get some insights to help them feel better and live their best lives. And for our listeners that haven't listened to your podcast yet, if you want to get more of a flavor of these three, and I'm going to tell you you're going to want to, listen to Drive Time Debrief. And then I'm also really thrilled to share with everyone, the three of you are strategic partners with Revitalize and We don't have very many strategic partners. If you look at the page, it's a very select group of individuals. And we chose you three to be the burnout specialists that we work with because there's lots of different coaches out there that specialize in burnout. But the three of you 
the level of insightfulness and empathy and courage and just your entire vibe, it was a really easy decision to work with the three of you. So I'm excited for our listeners and for our community members to get to know the three of you more. Aw, thanks. We love you guys. That means a lot. Thank you very much. Currently, we're recording this on December 7th, so we're all probably living our best lives. We had a Christmas cookie thing at our house, and I've had cookies every morning for breakfast. But soon, we're going to enter New Year resolution season, and some people will do their dry January. This will be the year I'm going to drop 20 pounds. And my observation has been, actually, I don't know if I've ever had a successful resolution. I can't really think if there's ever something I've said I was going to do in January and it actually happened, which statistically is actually pretty common. Why do resolutions fail? And is there anything we could be doing instead of making resolutions? So why do they fail? That's a big question. And I'm sure we could get 999 answers, but Really, when we talk about resolutions, is it the fact that word sometimes, like you just said, I've set many a resolution and they fail. What is a resolution? What are we really trying to do here? And I think where you need to start is like, maybe what am I not trying to do? And the mindset shift or the reframe could be like, what is my goal? Where am I trying to get? And I think just even looking at it from just that little bit of shift, as to what I'm like trying to get rid of or let go of or get away from instead of where am I headed? And so one of the things we talk about a lot is that idea of your why. And so if you can think about instead of a resolution, think about I'm going to start a new habit or I'm, I'm going to have a new goal for this year. And some people already do this, but I think where it really lacks is connecting that with a value. And so your values are really important. And that's basically your why. So you want to think about, okay, if I want to do this new habit, A, it's either triggered me or it's a pain point or something that you're really trying to improve or maybe been brought to your attention or you're more self-aware. I don't know. But really, you've got to get back to what is your value. So I know for me, as an example, a couple of years ago, I was in the throes of my burnout and I had walked away from medicine actually for a time that was getting coached. And when I started to realize why I wasn't heading in the direction that I really wanted to be. And really, it became like when I turned 40, I was like, this is it. Like, I reached 40, I was burnt out of medicine. And I'm like, is this what my life? Oh, my goodness. So and another striking thing was like, I went to the doctor and got like numbers back on just routine labs. And I was like, oh, my God, like, what, what does all of this mean? And so I really started to think about instead of losing weight or getting in shape or trying to fix my numbers or all the things, I started to think about, okay, clearly I'm not where I want to be at 40 or 41, uh, 42. Where am I headed? So I have a whole life ahead of me from what I know. And so I really got serious about starting to look at my values, which I had never done before. And so when I got into being coached myself, starting to ask those questions again, like what makes me happy? Where do I want to be? What brings joy in my life? Where could I be in six months to a year by just a little bit of mindset shift. And so really starting to get clear on what I love, how I want to show up, who I want to be, 
just really getting clarity on this thing started to form that list of values that I started to get real clarity on and really start to make a list that was more like I'm setting vision. I'm casting vision for myself and that's where I'm going. And then I'll get into a little bit on the how. But I think the why is really where you want to start. Most often, people just don't have clarity on their values. They don't have a clear vision. And until you really spend the time doing that, I believe that's really first steps. And you hit on it, too, is that a lot of times people will set resolutions because they think they should, in quotes, and really trying to please somebody else. And it really doesn't have anything to do with something that you're interested in making changes around. If you love cookies and you just decide to go no flour, no sugar, because that's what everyone else is doing then you're not having compassion or grace with yourself and it's not going to stick because it's not actually something that truly you want to do for the rest of your life is what we're talking about. Another thing for me, I also have a dismal record with New Year's resolutions. As a recovering perfectionist, which I think a lot of your audience will probably resonate with, we make it out of control difficult. We go from zero to 100 and expect that every day you're going to wake up and do 100. And the second that you don't, then you're off the rails and give up and see I'm a failure once again. So we're just like, there's a whole gray zone. And maybe we could just start with, they say, make your life 1% better each day. Do something that's doable and become a person who does the habit. You can always improve from there. What is much more difficult is to go from zero exercise to elite athlete status in a week. That's a bit rough. Yeah. Yeah. Then I will tell you, Amanda, she talks about this or it was real eye opening for me. Like I kept saying, I fell off the wagon. And man, it's like, there's no wagon. What if there was no wagon? I'm like, there's no wagon. (laughs) So there's that grace, that self compassion that says when you, feel like a failure because there's a wagon that you fell off of. What if there was no wagon? And what if you just, like she said, start at 1% better? So, yeah. And then the last thing I would say is, and this is where our life coach training has a huge impact, is you cannot hate yourself into the version of yourself that you want to be. And yet that's what we try to do over and over. I hate this jiggle in my belly. If only I get rid of it, then I can love myself. Well, that's not how it works. You actually have to start practicing self-love in order to grow to love yourself. And then that's when the things become easier because you're doing it for you rather than out of hatred of yourself. Yeah. I'm so glad you mentioned that because that relationship that we have with ourselves is where any good change can make in our lives begin. And we're so perfect at keeping promises to other people. Most of us are because we're so dependable and such amazing human beings for everyone else. But we don't keep promises to ourselves or we make these crazy goals. Like I've been not running at all, but I'm going to start running five miles every morning. Like that's not a good idea. But we will make that promise saying we're going to do this for ourselves and not show up. It's like we're making a lunch date with one of our friends and just totally ghosting them. We wouldn't do that, but we do it to ourselves all the time. 
So when we can cultivate that self-love where we're going to keep promises to ourselves and make the promises enough that they're actually doable, that's when real change can happen. Yeah. So I guess to summarize is we make resolutions that we really have no interest in doing. We make them too hard and we don't have compassion with ourselves. And then that just is a recipe for disaster. Yeah. And let's dig in more to some of the thought errors that happen that set us up for self-sabotage. One that I'm thinking of right now is this all or none thinking, the dichotomous thinking that I'm either an elite athlete or I'm a fat blob and there's no in between. Well, welcome. You have a normal brain. Yeah. (laughs) We like to encourage our clients. We like to say that often. Congratulations. (laughs) You have a normal brain. And that's what Amanda was talking about, this recovering perfectionist, this black or white, all or none. The way our brains, unfortunately, have been conditioned and it's comfortable and safe because that is applied to our workplace and how we function in the career that we do. However... It is not so helpful when we're applying it to ourselves and something that we genuinely are trying to work towards. And I think Amanda and Laura, they both have used this before that we've talked about. There's a part of us that wants to also, I mean, our brains have a negativity bias. I mean, we just have to accept that and not resist that. There is also a thought disorder of mental filtering and we just, we focus on the negative. And so if we don't even feel like it can be 99% of the way there. We just don't even go there. And so we do this with our shifts. We do this with our day. We do this with our relationships. It's like if they're 85% of the way there, our brain doesn't see that, oh, they're okay. I can handle 85% or we can do 85% or I can accept 85%. Our brain's like, man, 15% of the time they give me a time or I have a hard time or it was terrible. I had one case out of 10 go bad and I'm going to go home thinking about that one case, right? And so that's the thing. We make habits and we start off on the right foot, but if it's not every day, all day, the three days we did stick to it, there's zero credit there. And so really it takes intentionality and we'll talk more about how to set a habit, but making it small steps like tiny habits. If you check out our podcast number 61 on taking our small steps. And so it's the thought of like, you have two ladders. Like if you're thinking about you're starting at the ground level and you're getting to one of your goals. And so you have a ladder that's got a rung every three inches, or you have a ladder that has a rung every three feet. How much more easier is it to climb the ladder when you're taking a small step every three inches, then trying to get that next rung that's three feet away or something like that. And so we just talked a lot about taking the smaller steps. And so that takes that self-compassion though. And that also has to take the intentionality to notice and be self-aware when you're stepping into that perfectionism or that all or none thinking and saying, okay, brain, thank you for offering that up. But this is what I'm doing today and tomorrow and the next day. And then we'll reevaluate. Or I've done three days in a row and I feel good about it. Today's my break day. I'll be back on tomorrow. It's just that intentionality to just really speak to your own brain and say, thank you for trying. I am trying to restructure. We call it neuroplasticity. And 
we're making our new five lane highway, but it takes intentionality. And over time, uh, it becomes the thing your brain wants to offer up. Along the same lines of just getting on the ladder, James Clear in his book, Atomic Habits, mentions it's much more important to start to have an identity if your goal is working out or something like that, to start to identify as somebody who works out, then I am an elite athlete. It is much more important to establish that habit and start to identify with that as part of your personality. And then you can go up from there. So sometimes you do want to pick something that you are 80 to 90% sure you're going to be able to keep for the rest of your life. We do all this stuff where it's like, I'm not going to have any pleasure in my life for the next six months. And after that, after I've absolutely tortured myself, then I'll get to love myself. We just go from zero to a thousand. But it would be much more useful to do something that you honestly believe that you're going to do and build that self-integrity because then you can go from there. And another tip that was recommended also is to tie that thing to something that you already have a habit of. You always have your morning coffee, then maybe you do the thing before that because you're going to have your coffee. Just something that that makes it really easy for yourself to start to establish an identity as whatever the change is that you want. I identify as a walker and a stretcher. So I stretch <laughs> and, a, and I walk. <laughs> I love that. So when you're talking about thought errors, I immediately went to catastrophizing because, and this can kind of go with all or nothing as well, but if for instance, if you have made this exercise plan for yourself, I'm thinking of myself years ago, and then I miss one, then I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to die. I'm going to get diabetes. I'll have like my feet amputated or something because I missed one day on this exercise plan. And have just knowing that when you're establishing a new habit, at first, you might only do it 20% of the time. So if you give up because you miss one day that you're not helping yourself out there. Just expect that it is going to take time to build those neural pathways. And at first, it is going to feel like you're really not doing it very often. What about balancing delayed gratification, which is something we've really done a good job of as doctors with the thought trap that I'll be happy when? So I'll finally be happy when I lose this 10 pounds and I'll finally be happy when I finish writing my book. I mean, there's just so many different things that we can insert there. Right. What's the problem there? What are we setting ourselves up for with that? What you're referring to is the arrival fallacy. But what I would point out is that it doesn't work. I mean, how many times <laughs> it said, darn it. Well, I'm going to be happy when to burst some bubbles today, people. And that was the what we were alluding to. You can't hate yourself into loving yourself, right? So the arrival fallacy is the mistaken thought that when you achieve whatever goal it is, then you will have lasting happiness. What we do know, because everyone listening has achieved several goals that they've had in their lives, like how excited were you to get that acceptance letter from medical school? And is that still carrying you? No, it's not. It probably lasts 
couple months and then you got in med school and you're like, oh, well, maybe it's when I graduate med school. Maybe that's when I am to give it back. But okay. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There is nothing wrong with having a goal, but a goal is just your light post. It is just telling you the direction of where you're going. If you hinge your lasting happiness on getting to the goal, then the problem with that is that you've spent most of your life just waiting to be happy. Then you get to the goal and you're happy for a little bit. You guys have all accomplished amazing things and yet did it sustain your happiness forever? No. You achieve the thing, you celebrate, and then you move on and you fall right back into your same habits. So since hating ourselves doesn't lead to loving ourselves, what would it be like to just start loving the journey and loving yourself as you are? along the way. It's simply a thought that that you're not allowing yourselves to love who you are in this moment. And that makes it so much harder. I think you should tell them about the Sherpas. Oh, so in what's that book, The Art of... Then in The Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. Yes. Thank you for that. So he is talking about his journey with some Zen Buddhists up. He must have been in the Himalayas, right? And he is walking and all he can focus on is when are we going to get to the top of this thing? He is conceivably in much better shape. These are elderly Zen Buddhists. And he eventually drops out because it's taking forever. Meanwhile, his companions, the elderly Zen Buddhists, were walking around from time to time. They would peer at the top of the mountain, but they would look at the flowers. They would see the butterfly. They would talk with each other and commune. Every single one of them made it because they were enjoying the journey. It wasn't only about the destination. That is the secret sauce to life is to have goals. You don't want to be just wandering around aimlessly, but the goal is just a guidepost. It doesn't even matter if you get there. It's the person you are becoming on the way to your goal. That is the secret sauce. It's not in the flowers. Yes. Well, I think that is a great pause point for part one of this podcast on habits. And we'll pick up soon with part two. Thanks for listening to The Revitalizing Doctor, a project of Revitalize Women Physician Circle. Our mission is to connect women physicians and allies through innovative, value-based coaching methods that align trust, support, accountability, and skill development to ignite the courage and clarity necessary to take bold actions, create change, and thrive. If you're interested in working with us, check out our website at peoplealwayshcc.com slash revitalize or email us at revitalizemm.info at gmail.com. This podcast represents the views of our host and guest. It does not reflect the views of any institution we work for or with.